the, the event that we are all here gathered. This is an event that is obviously, it's a high holy day for Christians. It's the high holy day on the Christian calendar, but this is a day that is hope for all of mankind, not just those who follow the Christian religion. Uh, this has implications to, that are far-reaching to bless all the families of the earth. So let's take a moment and reflect upon the story. In order to understand the beauty and the significance and the restoration that the resurrection means, we have to go back to the beginning. What was God's intent in the first place? Because in order to understand his salvation, we have to appreciate what his intention was in the first place. And so we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, as we know that that book, that, that, that book opens up with the, with, the, with the line, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. And in that first chapter, those first two chapters in the original language are just two poems put back to back with one another to celebrate the beauty and the uniqueness of the God who creates. And in Genesis chapter 1, there is a particular word and a refrain that is used over and over and over again, which is, and behold, God saw that it was good. And at the end of the chapter... As God, as, as God is reflecting, and the summary statement is similar to what we've heard throughout the uh, chapter, but there's one difference. It says, behold, God saw that it was very good, very good. And we're told in that chapter that God creates this great uh, 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 cosmos for his creation to enjoy, and that the pinnacle of his creation is mankind, humankind. Why is humanity so special? Because unlike any other uh, uh, reference point in the, in the creation narrative, it says something very specific about humanity, and it says that we are made in the image of God. Both male and female, we represent the image of God. And so what we take away from those two chapters that informs us about the purpose of salvation and the ultimate victory of the resurrection is this. Number one, it is God's heart, it is in God's heart to create a beautiful, safe universe for his creation to flourish. That was his desire, that was his design, that was his goal. For them to flourish socially, spiritually, physically, and ecologically. And then we move into the, so, so, we, so we leave chapter two recognizing two things. God made a great, wonderful cosmos for his creation to enjoy, and he blessed male and female humanity with the dignity of being made in his image so that we could be given the responsibility of partnering with God in taking care of his good cosmos that he created. And then we move over to the tragic part of the story, which is Genesis chapter three. And in Genesis chapter three, if you grew up in church, you probably are familiar with that story. In Genesis chapter 3, it's a story of deception. It's a story of humanity not recognizing and fully trusting the image of God that's been created in them. And, and, and they were tempted with the thought that perhaps God was not enough. And so they eat from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as soon as they do, their eyes are open to judge between good and evil. And the immediate sensation that they experience is shame. Once their eyes are open, they can, they're filled with shame and they seek to cover themselves. And in this moment, the human race moves from vulnerability and intimacy to hostility and hiding. In this moment, the human race moves from vulnerability and intimacy, both with God and one another, and harmony with creation, and they move into 
fear and hiding and hostility with God, with one another, and even with the created order. Suddenly, humankind experiences a new sensation that's never been introduced in the story up until this point, but it is a sensation that will come to dominate all of our lives, and that sensation is fear. So we're told in Genesis 3, verses 8 through 10, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Fear, shame, Hostility, anxiety, and the feeble attempt to cover up our shame with temporary measures. And after harmony with God is disrupted, harmony among humankind and creation itself is disrupted. We pick up the narrative in Genesis 3, verses 11 through 14. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And then the serpent deceived me, she replied, that's why I ate it. So here we see that harmony is destroyed. And if we're going to appreciate what the miracle of the resurrection is, we have to take a moment to contemplate in the story, what we see that we lost and what we lost was living literally in the presence of God. God walked with them. He created a home for them and he chose to dwell in that home with them. He would walk with them in the cool of the day. And because they were not able to fully trust him, they were deceived. And now they move from intimacy to this place of fear and hostility. And now immediately the man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent. And so, 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 so immediately we see these defense mechanisms rising up so that we don't have to face and own our guilt because of the sting of the shame. And so we see this tension immediately introduced into the story. Now the fruit of alienation begins to wreak its deadly havoc on mankind. Instead of harmony, we now experience resistance. That's what the rest of the story highlights. And with one, within one generation, the Bible will record the first violent act of man, which is murder, and that comes up in Genesis chapter 4. Because of this warped sense of judging what is good and what is evil, we become literally children of wrath. We spend our lives striving to construct more sophisticated fig leaves for ourselves in order to cover our shame. In our fear, we run from God instead of to him, and then we make a mess of the whole thing. On a personal level, we begin to create schemes and strategies for filling the void that's been created by believing the lie of alienation, by believing the lie that we are not enough, by believing the lie that there is something other than being awakened to the revelation that you've been made in Christ's image and the resurrection of Jesus means that that image has been fully restored in you. Anything less than that doesn't satisfy, so we have to create schemes and strategies for filling up that void. Some of us do this by breaking the rules and expectations. We become rebels 
without a cause. Some of us do this by striving to keep the rules and expectations. We seek to sow metaphorical fig leaves, both religiously and irreligiously. This is not just a temptation of religious and spiritually minded people. It is a temptation of all of humankind. We use the ones we love and we are apathetic toward those we do not love. It's a process as you go through the Bible that the Bible calls sin and idolatry and it enslaves humanity. The storyline of the Old Testament is about God preserving a lineage that would one day see the birth of the Messiah, which would be God's healing for the sickness of humanity's soul. In the fullness of time, the creator became an embryo, then a baby, then a child, and then a man. Life enters our death. On the cross, Jesus even takes that lie of alienation upon himself. Although he's quoting a verse, verse uh, Psalm 20, I believe it is, what we see here on the cross is that Jesus embodies the existential cry of the alienated human heart that all of us at some point or another in the middle of the night or in the face of tragedy ask the same question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we see that Jesus's identification with humanity was so complete that on the cross, God feels forsaken of God. In taking our sin, our alienation, our death upon himself, he then destroys its power. The proof of the success of his mission to destroy death is his resurrection. The resurrection is the final statement that love is stronger than death, that love overcomes even death. The Bible proclaims that sin, separation, and judgment have been removed and we are welcome to come home, come back to the garden where God will walk with you in the cool breeze of the afternoon in vulnerability and intimacy And you need no system or scheme of right and wrong to supplement the beauty and the simplicity of that relationship. The resurrection is proof of his victory. Now we live in reconciliation with the Father and we become part of a whole new humanity. We no longer need to hide or defend or fake or fight, or pose anymore. Because when we're reconciled, we become reestablished. We're brought back into harmony. Harmony with God, harmony with ourselves, because we understand the truth of the image of God in our soul and the dignity that is intended to bring. And therefore, we have harmony once again with one another, and we can learn to live as though we truly are our brother's keeper, And even more than that, we have harmony with the entire created order that Paul says in Romans, groans and longs for the revelation of the children of God. This is what's restored when we begin to follow and commit ourselves to the way of Jesus. 
So what does that mean for us today? What does the resurrection mean for us today? Very simply this morning, I want us to close with two thoughts. How do we respond to the resurrection? Number one, embrace your forgiveness. And number two, wake up. Wake up to the revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the gift that is given to humanity so that we can walk in that same intimacy of unity with the Father that Jesus modeled while he walked on earth. Embrace forgiveness and wake up. Colossians 2 celebrates this reality. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Everyone take a moment. This is unplanned. But the outage gave me a few extra minutes. Close your eyes and just think for just a moment. Think of that thing that you can't say out loud, the shame that still nags you in the back of your mind, the thing that might make you feel lesser than the people sitting around you, the thing you rarely speak about. Hold that in your mind for just a minute and reflect on Colossians 2, the victory over sin and death, evidenced by the resurrection means that thing has been canceled. It is gone and it no longer need drive you or your understanding of who you are. You can open your eyes now. Some of you rule followers, you're just gonna hold it to the very end. I like that, I appreciate that. The confirmation of this cancellation is his resurrection. So embrace your forgiveness. Once you embrace forgiveness for yourself, you are liberated to walk the earth as the pardon of God. And we need peacemakers walking the earth as the pardon of God. So after embracing forgiveness, then wake up. Wake up to the revelation of who Christ is in you. Ephesians 5.14 is our theme verse this morning. And it says, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Just as he has risen, if you will wake up, O sleeper, Christ will shine on you. I, don't, I haven't seen the remake yet, but I, it's one of my favorite lines in Dune, the original. You remember Dune? Kyle McLaughlin standing up in the desert and he says, Father, the sleeper has awakened. I can't tell you how many times that scene has flooded my mind with each new kindness and revelation that God has brought to my heart. That's how it feels. Father, the sleeper has awakened. Now, as we get ready to close and respond, I'm gonna ask the worship team and everyone else who's involved in the second half of our expression of worship this morning to go ahead and come forward. And I'm gonna ask you all to go ahead and stand with me. So how do I begin to respond and participate in this awakening? I'm glad you asked because Easter Sunday is a great day to ask that question. There's a passage in, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and it simply says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. 
and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. How do we respond to this awakening? Very simply, imitate God and walk in love. Imitate God and walk in love. Walk in the love that he has for you. This is how we participate in the dream of God. This is how we awaken to our life's purpose.